if I mention the word budget to people, most times they, they just want to try to strangle me or they, or they really turn off. And so I, I've kind of changed budgeting. I said, well, you need a reflective practice. And people say, well, what's that? I said, you need to make sure you have more cash coming in than cash going out. And look, if you want to spend money on the latte, the great latte, or if you have gaming, or if you have other activities that you really are passionate about, that's up to you. That's wonderful. If you want to do those things, that's your choice. You're adults. But ultimately, at the end of the game, and I say this in the financial verse, there are certain basic rules. And one of the rules is you can't spend more than you make. So you, you have to have a way of getting at that. And a budget really helps you. And, and uh, it's, it, think of it as helping you to, to get a direction to understand where you're headed. Because I use that old Yogi Bear expression, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you may not get there. And uh, that, that's what I think a cash budget helps you to do. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin and this is the Money Talkers podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host Cody Laughlin. I have Harry Stout here with me. He is a business leader and author of personal finance and financial services. He is Got a website named The Financial Verse. He's written several books, traveled around the world talking about finance, and has a personal mission to bring in personal finance to your life. And so with that kind of intro, I want to say welcome to the show, Harry. Cody, great to be with you today. Looking forward to it. Well, I am excited, man. And uh, I one of your things is that you've traveled quite a bit. And so I will have an odd question, but what are the differences that you've seen as you've been in, uh, you know, Europe, North Asia, Africa, New Zealand, Australia, the U.S.? Like, how do people approach money differently, and then how do they approach it the same around all these different places? That's a that's a great question. C- couple couple things that are that are keys. Uh, one key would be what the safety net, what the the government's safety net is in that country. An example is in the Netherlands when you retire, you retire on a final pay pension scheme at 65% of what you were making before you retired. So people view personal finance issues a little differently there. They have a final pay, a final pay pension scheme. So their their thoughts are a little bit different. Uh, In Australia, in Australia, another example, um, Australia privatized Social Security years ago. And instead of having a social security account, your employer makes a contribution to a 401k-like account for yourself and you manage it. You decide where the money goes. So those people have different thoughts. If you go into some of the emerging Asian countries, people are just learning what a bank account is, how to save money, how to, how to put basic protections in place for their family. So if you look at it, depending on the country that you're working in, 
you take a look at the safety net, the tax loss, and where they are as a developing economy, and then you you can position the kind of financial solutions that they need to help them, if you will, grow and, and get to financial security. So it's, it's really, it's almost, uh, I looked at it as uh, 140 states around the world, uh, countries that were of sufficient size. You just had to understand tax law, the key, the key aspects of what people are operating under, the safety net that they had underneath if something happened, and then you had to create products and services to help them get, you know, be, become better. That's very interesting. So I think about things when I hear stuff like that of like, they're defining the end goal differently. Would you agree? As in, uh, and I don't mean the end goal it, of like retiring happy. I mean, what they need to do to take care of themselves at that period in their life because of what's in place, the game that they're playing. Like the game oh, yeah. is a little different in each one. Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The rules are, the rules are different. And, <laughs> and it's, it's in our country today, for instance, we're, we're still playing a game based on rules that were developed in the fifties. And I'm not, I'm not uh, advocating one political position or another, but my, my particular belief is, and I write about this uh, in terms of the personal safety net that people have to have the personal financial safety net. When you look at it, our, our rules, the world's changed. And it might be time to revisit what the social safety net is for people and to, to really think about that in a different way. Because what we have right now is a hodgepodge that really hasn't been looked at in a holistic way in decades. That sounds about right. That sounds about like the government strategy. So we just kind of piecemeal it all back together and then nobody wants to change anything. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's always a little difficult that way. And uh, as we've added things, you know, without uh, realizing we probably got quite a bit of overlap, I would imagine. Oh, there's, there's no doubt about that. One last thing, Cody, for you too. When you, when you look at different countries, people psychologically look at money a little differently and have different attitudes. I'll give you a great example. I worked in Australia for a number of years. Fantastic people, fantastic country. But uh, th they have a saying, which is called, she'll be right. So when you look at she'll be right, what that means is a major a life event, a crisis happens in your family. Someone passes away, bread, breadwinner passes away. They'll say, oh, she'll be right. We'll sell the house. The family will contribute. We'll get there. So, it, it's an, so the life insurance market is different in Australia than it is, say, here in the U.S. Because people psychologically look at some of those outcomes differently with maybe a little bit more confidence or a little uh, more relaxed attitude uh, versus, um, you know, for me, for instance, as I look at it, even here in the U.S., I feel as though people need to be protected because they shouldn't rely on GoFundMe campaigns. And it's not, it's not in the sense that GoFundMe is a bad thing because it, it fulfills the social need in a great way, but you need to have your own financial resources to make sure, uh, if you will, you have money for future delivery when you need it. And to, to do that, you have to make those provisions. You just can't rely on uh, uh, the kindness of strangers in those times. Just so interesting, be, different view. Yeah, well, I, I went to, I played football in Australia when I was uh, 18. I was down there for two weeks and it mm -hmm. was amazing. The people there are very much, it'll be all right. You know? She'll be right. Like I, I, I never heard that term, but it's, it's very much like, it's just more like relaxed. It'll take care of itself. We're good to go. And so I, I think it's a really funny saying that you said that because I was just kind of sitting here smiling as people listen to the podcast. They can't see me, but I'm like, yeah, it reminds me. That was a good time down there. But um, so as you look at that, and um, I, I have always been a proponent of, if you know the rules, you can play the game, right? So I don't worry too much when the rules are changing, 
And it's kind of what you're saying is that around the world, they've got a lot of different rules. And so they just play the game a little bit different. And so I think that that's a really, I think it's a really important context to bring that if you're here in the U.S. listening to this and sometimes they change the rules, you know, you talked about how different political powers, like they, the rules get twisted a little bit. We, I think we blow them up a lot more than the actual impact in the home. Right. Cause I think there's, I think it's much more of a headline grab than it is to what you can do. But if <clears throat> with, with saying that, um, where, so I, I'd like to kind of give you a, give you a chance to give us a little bit of your strategy. Cause you wrote an entire book about today's life insurance and you were talking about having those protections right in place and not to rely on things like a GoFundMe. And I agree with you. It fills a, a very good need and social need, but it isn't a strategy. And so where would you say, like, if you've got parents that have kids now or grandparents that are listening for grandkids, like kind of walk me through, and I know, you know, it's different, but can you walk me through kind of how you would think about it in different stages of life? Oh, sure. Sure. You're, um, let's, let's take a, a great example. Um, if you're a young married couple and uh, for instance, and you're a, a young family and you have children, you're going to have, you know, for the next 18 years, and I, th I believe you have young children, Cody, and when you look at this, you know, you have the cost of providing for them for that period of time. And, and you assume that you're looking to make some contribution to their higher education uh, so that they have a chance to be properly educated and, and deal in a competitive world. So you have to sit down and figure out how much, how much cash you're going to need to do all those things. Now, uh, if someone's single, they're, they're not going to have the needs of providing for dependents. But on the other hand, they might want to leave a legacy to a college or a university. They have to pay for their, their own funeral expenses. So each of us has cash needs throughout our life based on age. And how are you going to satisfy those cash needs? And if you don't have the assets to do it, that's what life insurance is for. It provides effectively cash for future delivery. And I think a lot of people get really confused about what it is, but it is cash for future delivery that the government has given us some significant tax advantages about. So in each stage in life, you have re responsibilities, you have requirements. And so your protection might peak when you're in your mid 40s, when your kids are teenagers. And, uh, and, and, and after that, it's going to go down or, or something like that. So you really have to understand your needs at each stage in life, how much cash you have to pay for those and how much you need. And, and that's fundamentally what you look at in terms of coming up with how much protection people need. You know, I asked that question more for the parent side of that, um, you know, because like you said, it, it really kind of depends more a little bit on the on the dependence and the needs, right, in the individual oh. situation. But um, I want to also ask you, because uh, I know that one of your biggest topics is effective money habits, right? Oh, sure. So that part, I'd like to ask in more of a context of for parents to be able to talk to their kids about, what would you what would be kind of a, maybe a top three or a, 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 you know, a high on Harry Stout's list of personal money habits that you could, you can share with, let's say, mid-teens children? Sure. For me, the number one thing is, and I try to, I, and I, and I try to teach this, I try to present it in my books and posts, it's the joy of positive cash flow. So any particular household unit, any individual over time, you have to have more cash coming in than you have to have cash going out. 
hopefully, right? <laughs> well, and, and, and by the way, that, and hopefully that's good. That's a very basic concept, but you, you really need that. Now, you need to be able to assess how that works or how, you know, what it looks like. And that's why the concept of a budget comes into play. And I've always been an advocate of it. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Mm. So what I try to do is teach, and, I, and I've, by the way, I've taught my own children, I've taught my nieces and nephews to put a, a, a cash budget, because it changed my life as a kid. For me, I didn't really hit home until college, but I've always, I still do this day. I have a, a two-year rolling cash budget, and I do it, I, I update it every time. I know exactly what the next two years is going to look like. I know what my income is. I know what my outflow is going to be. I've learned over the years how to properly put that together and make it work for me. Not a very complex model, not an app not something of, of, of a hugely rigorous nature, but directionally, I understand where I am and what, what money I have coming in, what money I have going out. So I think you can teach that to kids and that, that's important. I'd like to take my hopefully back and say strategically, right? I was kind of a tongue in cheek yeah. about saying like, hopefully you've got more coming in, but I honestly, it is strategic, right? Oh. So you sit oh, down yeah. and you say, I, I think you've got to get it out of your head as well, right? It's not, it, it, there's so much more power in putting it into a spreadsheet or using a pen and paper and like putting it down that I think that that is where the real power and magic happens to it because there's no, there's no talking yourself out of it, I guess, maybe you're talking yourself through it and you know, well, what, what it is, it's awareness. Yeah. And that's really what you need to do. What I try to, it's interesting, as I've, as I've written more and I've talked to more groups, if I mention the word budget to people, most times they, they just want to try to strangle me or they, or they really turn off. And so I, I've kind of changed budgeting. I said, well, you need a reflective practice. And people say, well, what's that? I said, you need to make sure you have more cash coming in than cash going out. And look, if you want to spend money on the latte, the great latte, or if you have gaming, or if you have other activities that you really are passionate about, that's up to you. That's wonderful. If you want to do those things, that's your choice. You're adults. But ultimately, at the end of the game, and I say this in the financial verse, there are certain basic rules. And one of the rules is you can't spend more than you make. So you, you have to have a way of getting at that and a budget really helps you. And, and uh, it's, it, think of it as helping you to, to get a direction, to understand where you're headed. Because I use that old Yogi Bear expression, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you may not get there. And uh, that, that's what I think a cash budget helps you to do. And for me, it changed my life. I, I, I've, been, I've always had cash. I've always been able to save. I've always been able to put money away for the long term. And I did that starting in my 20s which has been a godsend for me because I didn't have any knowledge or training from my family. And so I learned that and it worked for me. And, uh, and, and so all I can say is uh, that's, that's a key one. And I, uh, uh, I, I don't know. Well, I think, I think I do know. Um, I, I would guess that the psychology behind cringing at someone telling me that I have to do a budget and I'm not talking about me personally, but in general, but like when I would have cringed about having to do a budget because now I'm a finance nerd and I like doing my own yeah. spreadsheets and budgets and things. And so like, uh, I think it's the, probably the connotation of that you're taking something away. And I look at it as you're giving something that's much more valuable, such as freedom, right. Or knowledge and comfortability. And so like, as the poor coffee gets, it gets beat up so bad, doesn't it? But like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's no, always it the first thing in the personal finance blog. It's like, you can't have, you got to stop making $4 coffees. And there was yeah. a point in my life that I did need to stop doing that. And I did, I did calculations of how much it was costing me and what it was doing. But I, I just, I think that, I, I don't think that, I think that the, the, the budgeting, 
doesn't just give you freedom for like your future self, which it will do, but also it gives you mental freedom to know that you're okay to accept oh. the things that you think you should, you know, you, you, in your head, you hear, don't spend the money on the coffee or don't buy lunch. And like, if that's what's important to you, it's actually a freeing exercise so that you can kind of line up what's important to you and what's not important to you and cut out the things that are not so that you can free up space in your head. And it actually helps you go out and be happier than the other way around with the budget. When everyone's cringes and says, you're going to take stuff away from me. Oh no, I agree with you. It's priorities. And I'll, and I'll give you, I'll give you a great one. Personal story. I lost my father and one of my brothers within a six month period of time. And I, it really made me think about my own mortality. And this goes back a long time ago, over 30 years ago. And I said at that time, you know, I think I'm going to travel and I'm going to see things that I want to see. And I'm not going to wait till that, that age when I retire because I might not get there. So my budget has always had a good slug of cash every year for my trips. And that's really important to me. So I've been willing to give up other things to, to be able to, to do that. And that's really important. So my budget's my, and, a, and what's what a budget is, it's really your priorities. It's, it's what your financial values tell you are, are important to you. And I'll give you another great example. And you see this a lot today and I see it in my business and, and you probably see it in yours. There are some people that don't wanna work full time. They just don't wanna work full time because they would like to, they wanna be contract workers they want to work on a part-time basis and they want to have more time to enjoy the things that, that they like to do, be it, um, be it hiking, nature, some, whatever their, that, that passion is. So they work enough to be able to, uh, to be able to give them the cash to, to fulfill their basic needs so they can do the things they really enjoy. That's fantastic. So they're, they're making a priority decision. They've, they've understand that that's my inflow. I'll budget. What I'll do is I'll live a little different lifestyle because of that, but I'm going to enjoy things more because I get to do what I'm really passionate about. And you see more people doing that. And I have several folks that I deal with that are, that, that help me with the financial verse that are wonderful people that that's what they've chosen. And so that's really what a budget does. You know, it's your financial values, it's your priorities. And unfortunately, we have to translate things back to cash, back to dollars and cents, because that's the reality of our world. And it works real well. So I think, I think first off, the budgeting part for children, I think so important in cash flow. So that cash flow is really important. I, I also think the two other things that you, you need to teach kids are the value of time, because you, if you if you use compound interest and you show them that if they put away three thousand a year, by the time they turn, well, unfortunately, they will likely retire around seventy, not sixty-five. But see what that money looks like by the time you reach age seventy. You'll have the money for the later years of your life. By the way, because you're going to probably live to be around a hundred. Sixteen to seventy-six, <clears throat> ten bucks a week is one point eight million at nine yeah. percent return. Yeah, I've done it. it. I've done it. It's amazing. But as well as mine, I don't understand why that's not part of what we do. Uh, starting off, it should be, uh, you know, for me, it should be one, it should be open to get out of earned income to open up a retirement account, right? That's yes. the sort of thing mm -hmm. I would get rid of. I would strike that right off the thing. It doesn't need to be earned income, right? There is, there, there is a proposal in Congress for every child that's born to put $5,000 in an account for them and such that that will grow by the time they get to be age 70, they'll have enough to retire. And there's a proposal for the government actually to do that. It's interesting, interesting thought process going on, but that's what it was. That's compound interest. So, yeah. so I think, you know, budgeting time and then just developing good money habits 
and to tell people what a habit is, so it just becomes second nature. You know, you be aware of your spending. Uh, that's so important for people. We have so many people today that aren't aware of what they're spending their money on. And that's really one of the first uh, huge surprises they get when you sit down to do a budget with them. I'm spending that much on that particular area, you gotta be kidding me. You know, you are really. And, and you know, you, that, that's not the way it works. And, and so those are the three keys, but I mean, fundamentally for me, uh, Cody, as I look at it, we just haven't, we don't spend any time educating young people about money, not enough. And I know that's one of the key, the key premise and your, your key premise of your program and what you do. But I, I began to peel the onion back more on that over the last couple of years. And you find that only 19 states mandate a personal finance course by the time someone graduates high school. Well, that's probably 18 more than there was when I was in high school because well, but, but, I... But, but, you're, you're, yeah. By the way, you are you, you are right. If you, <laughs> if you if you peel that back, even about ten years ago, you get to almost a, a single digit number of of uh, uh, states requiring that. And by the way, similar problem in the UK, similar problem in Canada. So uh, so same issue. We're not, we're not mandating this yet. We we to drive a car, we make someone go through classroom test behind the wheel all these different things to drive a vehicle. But a year of practice. Yes, yes, and, uh, and I had my own rules for my own children. But as you look at it, but we don't sit down, we don't have rules for money. Yeah. And that's, it's, and I think it's gonna become, for me, it's, it, it's so important what you're doing and what I'm trying to do today, because in reality, money's a much more precious resource post-pandemic than I think it's been since the, the Great Depression. and if you will, the pandemic is the Great Depression for this generation, for all of us alive today, because I think it makes you think differently, at least it should. And, uh, and, and, and value, do I need to live in the city? Can I live in the burbs? Do I, did I need to have all those things I had before? Maybe I could do away with you know, a few other things. Can I get my hair cut every seven weeks versus every four? You know, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that, that just have popped up that you say, oh, yeah, gosh, you know, I could do that. I, I don't have to do those things anymore. There's, some, there's to me, there's some beautiful things that have come out of this. And because I, I am probably an eternal optimist uh, wrapped in a pragmatist, right? So, um, but I'll tell you what, this summer and this March and April, um, I saw more families playing in their yards. I saw more yes. people on bicycles. I saw more people walking. I saw more people on golf carts. I saw, you know, kind of a return. You know, I started cutting my son's hair and I, I was cutting mine at the same time. And mm -hmm. it was cool, you know, like I never, you know, it, it was just like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out. And I'm watching YouTube University, but, um, you know, I've, I learned a lot on YouTube University trying to do stuff around the house this summer. But, um, you know, and, and we spend a lot of time doing those stuff together. And I think that, uh, you know, if, if whatever's thrown at you, there is, there, is a, there is a sunlight ray in there if you don't get caught up in being told that it's bad for you, right? And that you're able to change that mindset and that paradigm. And I, I have probably a lot of the same opinion you do regarding being frustrated that we don't talk about these things with our young people because all basically you're doing is throwing them out and, and, and for it, 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 I don't really want to get started on it, but how about giving them a pen where they can stroke their name to a $200,000 loan with no yeah. uh, ramification of how to pay it back. Just, you don't sure. have to make payments while you get this and go do whatever you want in school. But 
uh, I will say this, I've seen studies um, where up to 80% of uh, generation uh, Z, which is in school now and younger ages and, and high school now, uh, want financial education. So, yes. which is amazing because my kids learn and look and consume things very differently than I do. And oh. I, and I hope that I, and my hope and is and my feeling of this is I think they're going to change it. Right. Because they learn things differently. They learn by seeking information. I watch them when they want to know something, they go to oh, the internet, right? Sure Instantly. Yeah. They don't know any other way. Right. Well, well, think, well, think about it. I mean, they're holding a mini back when we were young, young, young people, very young. I mean, we didn't have a mini computer, uh, a mini computer in our hand that could get you all the knowledge of the world with several search questions. So, so I totally, I totally agree with you. And I'll, and I'll give you an example of that. I'm an older gentleman. So as I'm doing this book uh, and I'm doing my book tour, my first book tour and then second, the, um, I've had uh, crews take pictures of my, take pictures of me for the book. They make an old guy look good. And so as they do this, it's interesting. After the sessions, they said, Harry, can, we know what you do. Can we talk a little bit about money? We'd like to talk to you about a few things. And so what do you think about this? And what do you think about Social Security? Is it going to be there when, I'm, when, I, when we get I mean, I had some real serious questions that, or comments and concerns that people brought up. And just no one's really talked enough about money. We're not having enough money conversations. And it's not to say that needs to be the only topic of conversation. I mean, the, the, the best way I found to, to look at it, um, Cody, is this. The average American today spends two minutes, and 20, two minutes and 24 seconds a day on their money. Okay? Two minutes and 24 seconds on their money. They spend 10 minutes a day reading and over two and a half hours on social media. Yeah, sounds about, that sounds about, sounds about even a little low if you were going to ask me. If you saw my iPhone time that tells you, <laughs> yeah. this is how, how much time you spend a day looking at this thing. It's not pretty. <laughs> no, 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 I see that. Well, we don't, we just don't spend enough time. And no. so that, and that starts with, and people, you have to, it's not that you're going to, but you're is not, that a trickle you, down from not making it a priority in schools? Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, sure it is. Sure. That's one thing. And we, and it's taboo in the household. Right. And so yeah. I think that our attitude, because as anything else, it has to start with your paradigm and the way you see the world. Right. And so that's one of the reasons that I found out when I started talking to people about money, like you said, you walked up and you have young people talking to you about money. Yeah, so yes. encouraging because it would never happen 20 years ago or 30 years or 50 years ago. Like, you know, uh, nobody was, you know, there were 20 year olds talking about social security. I wasn't, I know that I was like, <laughs> I don't care about that. You know? And now I feel like because of the way that, uh, that we have are kind of evolving in our, in our, in our consumption of knowledge that I'm hoping that there's a swell and a change and a shift to that. But I also, if there isn't, then I know there's opportunity for those that do. Oh, absolutely. And I, I just, what I do, I have something that I've been advocating called spend two. Spend two hours a week, 17 minutes a day on money and economic related matters. Because the thing that I've learned over time is that knowledge, knowledge is, is the key. If you have knowledge, if you can learn, and, and it's lifelong learning, it's not just one time, because I'm going to learn something today and a financial tech application will come in tomorrow and change what I've learned today. So you have to keep learning. And um, so I say 17 minutes a day. I would, say, I would, add, I would yeah. add something to that, Harry, though. Yes. I would say this. 
you could learn the same lesson today and learn it in five years from now and you will not get the same thing out of it because you've changed, even if the message hasn't. Oh, I hear you there, yeah. Right, yeah, I've, read Rich Dad, I've read Rich Dad Poor Bad three times in my life uh, and all three times I got something totally different out of it. It depends on where you are in life, yeah. That's, that's right. it, the way you yeah, see the no. world, right? And so, yeah, I, I, th I agree with you, but it, I love the idea of what you just said, spend two. Right. And, you know, and, and what, what I did, what I've done with my books and, and, and I, in my common sense approach for your money, my basic premise is no one sat down to tell people what their financial life is going to look like. So what I try to do with people is here are the stages of your financial life. I call them, and, and please don't laugh, I call them adulting, striving, and fulfilling. And I say, here's what your life's going to look like. Here is each stage. Here's how long you're going to be most likely in each stage. And by the way, here's what you should be learning and preparing for at each stage. Your, your decisions in each stage of your life are going to be yours. That's why personal finance is personal. Those are your choices, your priorities, what you want to do. But here's what life looks like for you. And when you sit down with someone and say, look, you're going to live to be 95. And they're going to say, what? Harry, you gotta be kidding me. He said, no, you're gonna live to be 95. Or people, even people in the, uh, in the boomer generation, you're gonna live to be 90. You know, younger kids today, they'll live to 100 because it, it's gonna happen. We're gonna be, we're lengthening all the time. Well, how do you fund all those years? And, and, and so you have to have a framework for people. So I try to talk about the stages of the people's lives. Here are the key decisions you're gonna have to make. And they're up to you. All I can, you know, all we can do is prepare you, give you ideas, who to talk to, where to go get a coach. You know, you can, if you need a, if you need a financial planner, a lawyer, an insurance person, you need those people to help you along the way. It's okay to get a coach. We get coaches all the time and they help us make better decisions and you shouldn't feel bad about a money coach. You know, money coaches are okay. And uh, so I, I try to lay that out for people so that they have a framework they know what's going to hit them. And then it's up to them to embrace that, begin to learn more and, 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 and drive their own lives. Well, that's the same thing. Like I would tell people that I don't care how great Tom Brady is without Bill Belichick, without a whole coaching staff on the sideline, put him up against any team and without, without a, with, that has the full coaching staff. They're not winning. They're not winning in college. They're not winning in, in NFL. Like you have to, you know, it's a third party person that has a weird relationship between uh parental and friend and i kind of find that where coaches are and they kind of mm -hmm. draw these things out because they don't there's not really they have the non-judgmentalness of a parent right but they also have a little bit more of the strictness than a friend and the acceptance of a friend and i kind of draw that's where a coach is at where they're in that kind of medium of okay we're gonna have some real talks but I also kind of, I'm going to get you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Well, I, I will tell and, you that. And I would say this, you might listen to me from the other side of that, right? My, my, my children are all young adults. And so that's the conversation. That's what I play. It ultimately it's their decision. Yeah. You know, it's their decision, but look, here, here's some things you should think about. Here's who I would suggest you go talk to this person. Yeah. And after that you can make your decision, but it's your decision, but you know, listen to the coach. There's people out there who've been through this might save you a lot of pain and suffering, but it's your choice. Yeah. I love the term leverage, right? I want to leverage and, and it, cause I used to say, I want to copy success. And that's not really true because you, I don't, I don't think that you can, I don't think that you can do it the same way in a different time. Right. And so what I like to talk about is leverage and I want to leverage your experience for today's time with my vision so that that way I can speed up the learning process. 
And that's what I see where the value of someone that comes in to coach, oh, to a yes. mentor, yeah. is that what you're you're not necessarily leveraging, you're leveraging time. Right. And so that's where I kind of see the and, and you know, and, and and you know, money is value and time is basically about those two things. And so if you're leveraging time, then you can add your value faster that way. And then that way, that, and then you see a wealth increase. Don't disagree with that at all. The one thing I might add to what you, uh, of the, the two items you've mentioned is there are tools out there you can use too. Yes. Now, and, and, and to understand what tools are out there, be it, a, be it a budget app, be it a financial product that could help you minimize the risk that you're facing. Is it legal advice? Maybe, it, maybe a will. If you have a child with, um, I, I have a brother with a child with special needs, setting up a special needs trust for that child to make sure that child's taken care of because of their health concerns. Those are all tools. And, and so what tools are available? Who do I go to? Where, where, what store do I go to to buy the tool that can help me solve my problems and, and make my, make, you know, so I can provide properly for my dependents and have a reasonable life for myself. That's something that has never been brought up before. And all the people I've talked to, is there a special trust for special needs children? Uh, not, not being a lawyer, but the answer is yes. And, and what people will do typically, uh, what, what I've seen is they will, for instance, use li li a special life insurance policy, such if they pass away, the money then funds the trust. And then that trust is set up to provide the needs for the child. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a very important thing because I've been doing finance for a long time and I actually was asked about that recently. And uh, when I heard that, that's why I wanted to jump on because it's, um, I, I, I think that as anything else, the more that we can educate ourselves and the more that we can learn and, and the faster we can spread information then um, you know, to seek professionals. Again, that's what we use professionals for. We're leveraging them, right? Oh, no, yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you another great example. Only about 58% of people know that the benefits you get from a life insurance policy, say you have a $300,000 life insurance policy, someone dies, 58% of the people realize that that's tax-free, income tax-free. 42% don't. It's one of our great tax-free benefits, but th these are all basics that if people understood the facts, then they could make better decisions about how they want to use these tools in their life. I think the lesson there too is to find a specialist, right? The more that you can drill down into a, someone who that is talking to what hundreds, thousands of insurance clients and they're looking at all walks of life and all different pieces and they're learning constantly versus you on your own trying to figure out a thousand situations with no, you know, no idea what the outcome. So you might pick right, but the guy who does it a thousand times a year is probably going to have a better average because he's going to figure out what doesn't work faster than the guy who goes once a year or once of every 10 years trying to figure the thing out. And so I have always been an advocate of even if it costs more, which, you know, not necessarily saying life insurance, but I'm saying like, you yes. know, your accountant, your taxes, your whatever has saved me a fortune in my lifetime by leveraging good professionals. Mm -hmm. And we should, and we, and you're exactly right. And we should, people should feel more comfortable doing that. One of the problems I think when you look at it, Cody, is 
sometimes people feel as though, you know, I, I just don't feel comfortable going to see that person because I don't know the questions to ask. I don't have enough of a, so I feel really uncomfortable. So I'm not going to go. So what I've tried to do in my books and as I, as I write more of them is give the individual basic information so that they, they have the basics pretty much colored and they understand so they can go have a reasonable conversation with a financial professional to get their needs met. But you know, given the fact we don't teach people enough in uh, secondary schools, colleges even, by the way, uh, we, don't, we don't spend enough time with that. Programs such as yours, publications, websites can give them information so they feel more comfortable and have enough nerve then to go talk to a financial professional, be it a, an internet-based financial professional or a face-to-face -face financial professional, feel comfortable saying, look, here's my, here's where I am. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm ABC. I'm, I, you know, I've got a, I have a partner. I've got two kids. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're 10 and 12. I'd like to be able to provide 25,000 a year for their college. It's up to them. I don't want to do any more than that. I want them to have skin in the game. So I want to do 25, each for the kids. I got to make sure my wife's taken care of or my, my partner's taken care of in this situation. If something happens to me, I don't want them to have to move out of the house for at least five years. So can we, can we figure out how much that looks like? And you know, it's, you should, it's okay to do those things. That's what financial professionals want to hear and understand to help people. And it's not a bad thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing to, 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 to be in that situation. You just, you, you got to be able to represent yourself, ask questions. Seeking out the knowledge is more important than having it a lot of times in those situations, right? In my mind. Yeah. And so I'll give you, a, I'll tell you one funny thing that uh, I found out um, Wharton Business School, right? Top five business school in the world. Yeah. The students there had to start a personal finance club because they didn't know anything about bank accounts, mortgages, insurance, car insurance. Like they had Wharton Business School. I mean, you're an MBA level of the top five business schools in the world. They had to start a personal finance club because they didn't know anything about it. So if you don't know anything about it or you don't feel like you do, you probably know more than you think you do. Just, you know, I think it's one of those situations where you need to take the leap of faith because the why, which is financial security, my family, uh, my legacy, um, my, my mark on this world, how I leave things, right, has to be bigger than your anxiety of talking to somebody or your anxiety of going to read the paperwork that maybe you don't understand, but you will never understand it if you don't take a step, right? It's like anything else. The chef was a busboy, right? If he was never the busboy, he wouldn't learn how to work through the kitchen and be the chef. The same thing was like a podcasting, right? I know I had to find my voice, but the only way to find my voice is to start talking. So I didn't feel very good about it at the beginning, but the more I talked to people and the more I got into it, I actually couldn't believe how much I enjoyed it. So I find the same thing with financial advice and personal finance and insurance, retirements, bank accounts, uh, car insurance, like just, you got to start, you, you got to start talking about it. No, you, you do. And there, and there aren't an insurmountable number of things that you have to learn about, but there's just, you know, 10 or 15 key areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you learn the basics, it will save you money. You'll feel more comfortable. You'll have less anxiety and stress and you can be a better steward for your family unit. I mean, you can really drive your family in a better way. And then the, the nice thing is you're modeling really good behaviors for your kids. So well, they're going to pick things up in a good way. That was, that's my view. Absolutely. I, and, and you know what is, is, is almost tough as it is to say 20 minutes a day would make a massive difference in your, in your outcome of your life. Oh, huge. Yeah, absolutely. I can show you. I mean, it, I, it, I, I just, it, I know, I already know. Like I, I know because I was, I was in the, I was in the total dark area and then I went, had to go so far on the other side of the whole thing. But like, 
what I know now, I can't believe I didn't know then, right? Like I, it was like my views were so crazy, but um, well, you know, it, for for me, for instance, when I started my career, and I'm one of my things that I've done in my career is I'm a CPA. And I, and I started out as a CPA. And when I first started, I had an older gentleman who was kind of a mentor to me say, Harry, you need to spend, and the people in the audience will laugh at this, you need to spend an hour a day with the Wall Street Journal. And uh, you, know, you need to read the Wall Street Journal cover to cover every day for an hour. That's what you need to do. So spend one hour per day reading the Wall Street Journal and today, gosh, look at all the different sources we have. I mean, I get, you know, in the morning, I get, you know, eight to 10 different financial newsletters. I get a number, I, I, all the podcasts that I've either par appeared on or if, uh, others that I listen to, and I get all those together. It's unbelievable. The information, all condensed, presented to me, I've got it. But that hour a day I used, I, I went back to that hour a day. And so I, I did that for years and years. And, you know, it paid huge benefits for me. I would, in I would my career, absolutely believe it. Absolutely believe it. Yeah, it worked. So, it worked. So, so today I don't have a I don't have the paper at the front door anymore, but I you know I get all the publications digitally, all delivered, and I have them. My suggestion would to get multiple of them because they've turned a lot of them into opinion pieces. But reading anything mm -hmm. is better than reading nothing. I promise you that. And so yeah. it's about sparking the interest, and that's what I love about podcasts because it's intentional listening. And so there's a massive uh, income difference between a radio listener and a podcast listener. It's like, oh, well, if you listen to podcasts, you get rich. No, that's not the way it works. The way it is is that you've trained your brain to go seek information, and I want to feed my brain with good stuff so that I can go out and validate it, right? Because that's what I had a neuroscientist that, you know, she was like, whatever you put into there, your brain seeks to validate. So put good stuff in, your brain will go to seek that good stuff, and over time has massive outcomes on the other end. T totally agree with you. I started out years ago with books on tape, audiobooks. Yeah. <laughs> I was one of the, I was one of the first people that really listened to audiobooks and I listened to them all the time. My family used to laugh at me because I, I got them so I could play them on the car on trips sometimes. Did you get the, they, uh, the big, the big uh, fluffy plastic that you had to rip apart and it'd have like three or four of the, cause six of the, my dad had them. I used to have to listen to them in the car too. And I was like, oh. but you know, for, for me, what I've discovered and then many in your audience will the same way you're, I'm an auditory learner. Yeah, and, and, to, and, and it's it's a major thing for me to do that. I still do it. To, I mean, I do it today with podcasts. Yeah, I've been I've been um, seriously in a week. I might listen to sixty different podcasts. Wow. And I do, and and the reason I do that is I, as you just described, I do it while I walk. Mm -hmm. I have a, a a commitment to make a certain number of miles per week for my personal health, so I do that. But I listen while I walk, and it's been it's so I kill two birds with one stone. Very productive, but boy, I've learned so much. And uh, and you know, it's it, it's not. It's my neighbors might might think I'm crazy because sometimes I stop. And then I'll call up Siri on my phone and I'll say, Siri, take these four notes. I want to follow up on these four items. And I think people, you know, I might think I'm just talking to myself randomly on the street. I don't know, but. I'll give you, I, I, I do the same thing. And I have had some of my greatest epiphanies and, uh, and thoughts and uh, around the time that I'm kind of zoning out and having some exercise and my blood's flowing and I'm listening to something and it's like, I mean, stuff, it's, it's a clarity break for me. And I, and I, when I learned to do that, it, it had massive, it has massive outcomes for me because I can, I can identify what's important, but I, yep. I've got, uh, here, I've got, a, I've got to cut us off here. It's, uh, I've had a great time talking with you, man. I really appreciate uh, the wealth of knowledge that you kind of brought to this. If people want to find out more uh, about what you're doing with Financial Verse, where do they find more about you? Easiest way is just go to financialverse.com, one word, financialverse.com. All, everything there about my books, the content we produce, other ideas, all there on the websites, all there. And we provide 
just basic resources and information to people. That's what we do. And it's for me, it's part of my fulfilling stage. I'm giving back at, with this financial verse effort. Well, listen, I will tell you one thing, one final thought. If financial verse doesn't seem to work out for you after all the success, I think you've got a future in sports broadcasting. You've got a great broadcast voice. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, thank thank you very much. I appreciate that. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker